Welcome to another edition of Childhood Remastered. This is the podcast where we look back on the cartoons and movies and TV shows and whatnot of our youth to see if they're still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I am Sean. And I'm Chris. And today we are checking out a movie that, man, I hadn't seen in a long, long time. Oh, I definitely hadn't either. Yeah, and uh, this movie uh, was a request of ours, and we'll get to that in a second, but the movie is... Matilda. Once upon a time, there was a girl named Matilda. Hi, Dad. Get in the car, Melinda. Matilda. Whatever. Who was extraordinary in every way. Pretty soon you'll be able to do any multiplication, whether it's 2 times 7, or 13 times 379. 4,927. Wow. She can multiply large sums in her head. So can a calculator. But in a world where grown-ups make all the rules. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big and you're small. I'm right. And you're wrong. In a school where the principal... In this school, I am God! ...has no principles. Yes, Miss Trunchbull! Sir! The used to be in the Olympics. Shot put. Javelin. Hammer throw. She will discover... Somebody's gonna teach you a lesson. Deep inside herself. You should believe in whatever power you think you have inside of you. A secret weapon. To even the odds. No more Miss Nice Girl. Now Matilda is a movie that... Uh, well, well, first of all, this uh, this movie was requested. Uh, it came to us as a request via Facebook by Stephen Marchia. Thank you, Thank by you. the way. Yeah. It's been a while since we've seen this. Yeah, So definitely. I think just as a brief what is this, it is a... 1996 American children's fantasy comedy film. Honestly, who writes these weird amalgamated uh, sort of uh, descriptions? I, I don't know who that is. Uh, whoever they are, I want their job because I used to joke around about how uh, at my old work, we had a lot of acronyms for everything and I wanted to be the executive, the executive VP in charge of making acronyms for the company. Yeah. So in this case, it would be ACFCF. Mm. Mm. Sounds so delicious. the movie was released August 2nd, 1996 in the US, December 20th, 1996 in the UK, had a runtime of 98 minutes and with a budget of $36 million and a box office take of $62.1 million, I would say it was this a movie is definitely a success. Yeah, absolutely. So the description of this is the movie is about a young genius named Matilda who uses telekinesis to deal with her parents who do not value education, and Agatha Trunchbull, the oppressive principal of Cruncham Hall Elementary School. So, what do you remember about this movie? I honestly, I I had seen this movie at some point. Somewhere. Uh, somewhere. Out there. Out there. Beneath out, the pale moonlight. Yeah, out where dreams come true. Um, no, I, I, had, I had seen this movie at some point, but I want to say I saw it with someone else. Like, it wasn't a movie that... I mean, honestly, I, I didn't feel like this is a movie that's directed at... I mean, at the time, I would have been 14. 13 yeah, we or were 14. not the demographic that no, this not movie at all. was aimed at. Yeah, this, and really, uh, because this this was originally a book. Yeah, and I did. I had never read the book. I actually had not read a lot of Raul Dahl books when oh, I was... Oh, you hadn't? No, when I was a kid, I had not read very many Raul Dahl books. It was published in 1988, the book, by the way. Oh, geez, so. that was only like two two years before he died. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's one of his uh, last books. But uh, I, this movie wasn't one that really sparked my interest, so I want to say I, I must have seen it like with someone else. L like, maybe it was a family movie we went to and I just got dragged along or something, but... This, I mean, at the time, 
in August of 1996, I would have been between uh, eighth grade and my freshman year of high school. So I, I feel like it would have had to have been like something I went to with the family or I just yeah. saw on video later on somehow. Well, you know what? How old is your sister? Uh, she is six years younger than me. So she would have been the prime demographic for this movie. Yeah, it might have been. She's probably the one because my sister was the prime demographic for this movie. And I know I saw this because she wanted to see it. Mm. Yeah, no, that probably makes sense. It's, it's probably, uh, it's probably a movie that we went to either as a family to go see, or it's something that I just got dragged along with (laughs) to watch. Probably. I remember watching it as a kid and I remember actually really liking it, but it was definitely not a movie that was for me, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed it because I enjoyed the story and the, the message and all of that. And I liked it as a kid, but, uh, you know, by then I think it was a little too old for me to, for the message to really be something that resonated really hard with me. Yeah. Having never read the book, I have to, I don't know. If, I read the book when okay, I was a kid. So maybe yeah. you can answer this then. I Having, mean, what I remember, I haven't read the book since probably like 90, well, 91. Well, ha- I was the prime demographic. For the, for the book, the book you, you and I both were when the book came out because it came out in 88. So we we're, you know, like five. So my, my question would be then was the was the story in the book so very much like kid friendly, kid centric? Um, like, so yes, the, the, what I'm getting at is the movie itself, having rewatched it, is very much like a kid's movie. It's not like. It's not like a movie that you... I mean, I think it's a kid's movie that, that parents... It was billed as a kid's movie that parents could watch and, and not not enjoy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but to, um, to me... But it, it was... wasn't marketed as a, quote, family film. I think it was, market, it was actually a kid's movie that parents wouldn't hate if they took their kids to see it. Agreed. So let's talk about who wrote the original story. Roald Dahl. It's, it's a name that a lot of you should know. It... And if you don't... Uh, I guess we're going to give you a little intro and maybe go pick up one or two of his books. If you have kids, please make them read it. His books are great. A lot of his books have been made into movies, either for kids or like, yeah. So Roald Dahl was, he was alive between 1916 and 1990. He was a famous British writer of short stories, novels, poetry, and actually was a fighter pilot and officer with the Royal Air Force during World War II. He's actually a flying ace. And I believe his uh, rank was Wing Commander, which is cool. Oh, so, just like Mark Hamill. He, yeah, <laughs> I was I was hoping you go there. So he is sometimes referred to as one of the greatest storytellers for children of the 20th century. His short stories are known for their sort of unexpected endings, and his children's books for their unsentimental, macabre, often darkly comic mood. They usually feature villainous adult enemies. That children have to combat in one way or another. Yeah. It, it, often exemplified in this book slash movie, as well as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and James and the Giant Peach. Those are both his as well. The Witches, also his. Fantastic Mr. Fox, the BFG, the Twits, and George's Marvelous Medicine. He's done a bunch of other stuff, but those are just the ones I wanted to name. Yeah. There is a little bit of controversy about Roald Dahl, but I don't really want to get too far into it. Uh, some people claim that he's anti-Semitic, but when you look further into it, I don't know if that's necessarily true or not. I guess you can look that up and make your own determinations. Yeah. So we'll, we'll kind of move on. But this book is a famous one, and it was made into a movie. It was also made into a musical we'll kind of get into that a little bit later yeah 
So this movie was actually directed by one of the stars. Uh, it was directed by Danny DeVito. Uh, he is an actor, producer, director, and he's just an all-around nice guy. Yeah, I've heard he's a nice guy. I, I, I have too. I feel like if you're four foot eleven, you got to be nice. Well, you either got to be nice or insanely rich. Which I guess both. at this point he's probably both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Danny DeVito started, uh, well not started, but his breakout role was as Louis De Palma on uh, the TV show Taxi that ran from 78 to 83. But his major first major role was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which I think you and I were talking about it before we recorded. You almost forgot that he was in that. Yeah, I did. And I, I want to say that on uh, what, what he does now is he is, I mean, he's been in a bunch of different movies. He's in Man on the Moon, Romancing the Stone, Twins. Which I got to say, when I was a kid, Romancing the Stone was one of my go-to movies really? that I watched with my brother, huh. as well as Twins. Those two movies I watched endlessly. Do you remember? So we're, we're Sean and I are Southern California natives, as you've probably picked up. And on I think it was was it Channel Five? Yeah, I think it was Channel Five. Like way back before it was uh, the, the WB. The WB. So our local Channel Five used to play Twins all the time, like as a movie marathon in the summer, and huh. they had this like little jingle where they would say they would sing about the movie Twins. And they'd sing, we're twins, as you can see. Oh, yeah. Why go see another movie when you can see the two of me? Meet Arnie, who's buff most everywhere. From bulging arms to belly air. But Danny, he's short and round and yet genetically unsound. What a crazy pair. But we're brothers. Identical twins, as you can see. Why watch another movie when you can see two of them? Twins, Monday at 8 on Channel 11. And it was some guy like faking an Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. accent. It was actually pretty awful. Yeah. But at any rate, I didn't mean to like sort of hijack us there, but, <laughs> but, but when you whenever I hear twins, that's exactly what I think about. Yeah, he, he was also in uh, Space Jam and Hercules, both uh, voice roles of Disney's Hercules. I know he is in Hercules because right now it is a movie that is in constant rotation in my house. <laughs> so he was in Batman Returns. Oh, as he the was the penguin, penguin. Which I think he does a phenomenal job as the penguin and I love that movie. You know, I'm I'm actually, I mean, this is more a comic book taste than anything else. I'm more of a fan of the penguin as like a mob boss. Yeah, well, I mean, as far as within the Batman mythos, I yeah. agree. But I like his version of it in the in the Tim Burton film. Yeah, and he's also he also goes back or he also stars in uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia as Frank Reynolds. And I bring and I wanted to bring it back to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because I'm almost positive that, that they released his character from the mental institution and that is his character. No, no, no. I'm <laughs> no, almost, no. I'm almost positive that there's an episode of It's Always Sunny. Where, where Frank, Frank reenacts the, the the one of the scenes the scene that like the the big Indian guy does where he oh, like yeah. he like like smothers somebody and then he throws something out a window and runs away. I, I'm almost positive that happens and it's always sunny. Fun side note on it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Danny DeVito got the well he didn't get this role. They actually wrote this character for Danny DeVito under the long shot hope that he would agree to do it. Mm -hmm. And then they sent him a script and he loved it. And originally the character was only supposed to be a one-off character. Yeah, yeah. That they then 
made a main character for the show. I just like as a side note, and he's I, one of the best characters. Yeah, in the I show. listened to an interview with him with Danny DeVito on NPR years ago about it, and God, I love his his character on that show is it's great. Yeah. At any rate, he's also the co-founder of Jersey Films, along with Michael Shamberg and Stacy Sher, known for movies like Pulp Fiction, Garden State, Aaron Brockovich, and Freedom Riders. He also owns Jersey Television, which produced Reno 911, and his directorial debut was Throw Mama from the Train. Throw Mama which from the Train. is oh. a really a sort of interesting movie if you ever want to go look it up. Yeah, it's a great movie. So let's talk about the writers. Roald Dahl, who we mentioned before. Nicholas Kazan, who is actually related to one of the founding fathers of the United States named Roger Sherman. He is a son of the American Revolution. Apparently, yeah. Nominated for an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay for Reverse of Fortune. He's also written such films as Bicentennial Man, Mobsters, and Fallen. He has two semi-famous actress daughters with Robin Swicard, who he married in 84. Speaking of which, happens to be our third writer. And she wrote the screenplay for The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, for which she was nominated for an Oscar. Also wrote the screenplay for Memoirs of a Geisha. Wrote the screenplay for Little Women and Practical Magic and a bunch of other movies. So these are like serious, like these are like legit people. Yeah, legit people with like gravitas that wrote. Yeah, they wrote actually, the screenplay. I for would this actually movie. argue, just like looking at the body of work of the last two people that we named, that uh, Robin Swicord might probably be a, a bigger name than her husband. I mean, not that it matters. They both did a good job with this movie, but mm-hmm. Memoirs of a Geisha, and Curious Case of Benjamin Button, or sort of big Oscar buzz movies at the time that they came out. So yeah, the producers were uh, Danny DeVito. Obviously we already mentioned him director, producer, uh, star. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was also Michael Shamberg, who, who we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Done movies like a fish called Wanda Gattaca, Pulp Fiction, Garden State, Aaron Brockovich, the big chill. Um, he was a co-founder of the double feature films with Stacy. Sure. Who's the next producer. Um, if these names sound familiar, they're both the people that started Jersey Films with Danny DeVito. Right. Uh, she dated Quentin Tarantino for a while, but broke it off during the production of Pulp Fiction. Which uh, she produced. Yep. Yeah. Uh, she is the co-president of Activision Blizzard Studios. I think that happened in 2015. Which so. which is interesting. Interesting yeah. move. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's because they started making movies. You know what? It's probably because she was ganking all those lobies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she produced Django Unchained, Garden State, Be Cool, The Hateful Eight, Aaron Brockovich, Man on the Moon, Gattaca, Get Shorty, The Fisher King, and others. Uh, we also have Lucy Dahl listed, who is the daughter of Raul Dahl. Um, she is someone who served as a consultant when Johnny Depp made his uh, remake. Well, I guess he didn't make it. He starred in it. Starred in the remake of uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in 2005. Uh, she's a contributor for Zester Magazine and wrote the sc- uh, screenplay for the film Wild Child. But this is why it's important to check multiple sources. Because Lucy actually had nothing to do with this movie. As it was Roald Dahl's widow, Lissy, who actually consulted on this film. If you go to Wikipedia and IMDb and other places, some places it will say Lissy. But if you click on Lissy, it will reroute you to either Roald Dahl or Lucy. And then in other places, it just lists Lucy. When you look into it further, Lissy, Roald Dahl's widow, was, was the one consulted was for this movie. Yeah. So, all those things about Lucy Dahl, true, but she had nothing to do with this movie. Yeah. So. 
uh, the movie, the production house was uh, Jersey Films, obviously, with with the inclusion of those three now, founding I, members. The theme music, I just wanted to say, I think they did a great job with this movie. It's done by David Newman, and we've mentioned him before, and I hope, because of some of his work, we get to mention him again. He's done movies like Death the Smoochie, but his first film was actually the short Frankenweenie with Tim Burton. He was in was uh, that he the, did the that music was the, for... Was that uh, the original uh, oh. Claymation one? No, yeah, no, the, the original live action. Live action, that's yeah. right. I remember watching that original yeah, live action. Yeah, the one. original live action. He's also done The Nutty Professor in 96, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bowfinger, one of my favorite films ever, which I know is a not good movie, but I don't care. Anastasia in 97, which he was nominated for an Oscar for. He also wrote the score for movies like Serenity, The Brave Little Toaster. That's the one that I'm really excited for mm. that I hope some point we get to do. Ice Age, which... I know it's going to sound weird. I've ever actually never seen the Ice Age movies. Really? I've seen the first two. I think they're up to like five now. I know. They're, I've never seen them. What, what is it with old movies? What is it about movies about prehistoric characters that just generates dozens of, of sequels? It's... I, I don't know what it is. Just make it into a series. I don't know. I don't know. He also did the Mighty Ducks Galaxy Quest which I know is not necessarily in the wheelhouse of this show, but I don't care. I love the movie yeah. Galaxy Quest. And Jingle All the Way, which we've covered, and a bunch of other movies. So yeah. two of the songs in this movie are featured in the film, or that are featured in the film, are uh, Send Me On My Way by Rusted Root, and it is played twice. And then the other song is Thurston Harris's Little Bitty Pretty One, which is a sort of 1950s classic. Rusted Root is an interesting band. They're like a... They're like a jam band. Yeah, yeah. And I, one of my first girlfriend was like obsessed with that band. See, I never heard of them before. Yeah, that's the only reason she had a bunch of rusted root CDs. And I'm like, what is this like psychedelic acid trip music you're listening to? And you it, know, it, it was basically. I think it's normal for you to date somebody at some point with a with a a love of a weird, terrible band. I, I dated somebody uh, a long time ago who really liked Yellow Card, and I remember telling them specifically that they were terrible. <laughs> And they wouldn't listen to me. And I said, no, Yellow Card's going to be big. I was promise. It, and I was it? like, they're flat in their own CD. How are they going to make it big? What? And she was, was like, Yellow no, no, they're going to be so big. I was like, wasn't no. Wasn't Yellow Card a ska band? No. They were like a pseudo a wannabe incubus. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. But, yeah, Rusted Root is a, is, it's a, it's a weird... It's a jam band? It, yeah, it's sort of like Fish... Or like uh, Grateful Dead, almost where they they play like long ass songs and like most of their I don't know maybe all of their CDs are like live CDs. Oh, it's like one song's forty minutes long and yeah. they're all on shrooms. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the cast of this movie, Matilda Wormwood, is the main character. She's uh, a little girl with terrible parents, and she's a genius. And that that we covered in the first five, you know, mm -hmm. minutes or so of this show. She is played by Mara Wilson, who is also played the daughter in Mrs. Doubtfire. She's more or less retired from acting, but she did have a cameo on the show Broad City and voiced Jill Pill on BoJack Horseman, which is um, a... The show's great. Yeah, it's a great it's show. It's great, but it's also depressing, so don't watch it. it. Is, don't yeah. watch it if you have any kind of mental health issues. <laughs> yeah, probably not, or it will give them to you. Oh, yeah. Uh, Matilda is actually played by a bunch of people. That's because we meet Matilda when she's like an infant, and then she goes through different stages of life yeah, until she gets to of, about like six or seven years old. Yeah, I think it's a sort of a... Uh, um, it's like a mini montage. Yeah, a mini montage. 
So one of the ages is as a newborn, and it's actually played by two separate sets of twins. One set of girl twins, one set of boy twins, Alyssa and Amanda Graham, and Trevor and James Gallagher. At nine months old, it is played by Kayla and Kelsey Fredericks, another set of twins. At two years old, it's played by Amanda and Caitlin Fain. And then lastly, four years old, Matilda is played by Sarah Magdalene. Next character is Harry Wormwood, her father, a used car salesman. And really just an all-around scumbag. Massive sleaze. Like your your classic so hard. when you think when you think of the when you think of the word like used car salesman he is the embodiment I mean maybe maybe that's cheap no, looking plaid suit greasy hair yeah proud kinda, of the fact that he like hoodwinks people into buying crappy cars that he's like filled gas tanks with sawdust and glued bumpers onto the car yeah, and run at, the speedometer back yeah at one or point run the odometer back at one point he takes his kids with him to work and he shows them exactly all the things that, that all, i just named off all the things that he does to trick people into buying shitty cars yeah and, so yeah i mean he's a sort of massive sleaze and you just him if if her family consisted of just her dad and then the rest of normal family. You'd be like, okay, that's a messed up dad, but at least she's got a brother and a mom who are nice, mm-hmm. but no, no. So, so the next character is Rhea Perlman. And in 1986, Danny DeVito directed and starred in an episode of Steven Spielberg's amazing stories. And in the black comedy episode from season two titled the wedding ring, DeVito acquires an engagement ring for his wife, Rhea Perlman and the ring is actually slipped onto his wife's finger in that scene, and she becomes possessed by the ring's former owner, which is a murderous black widow. Yeah. And it's cool because that is the real engagement ring. Oh. That's her real engagement ring, and they used it in that scene. So I just wanted to use that as like a cool segue from one to the other. But they actually met in, I think it was 1971, and they only knew each other for two weeks, and then they moved in together. And they've been together ever since. They married in 1982. She's a famous actress in and of her her own right. Mm -hmm. Her most famous role was Carla Tortelli, the head waitress from Cheers, which she was nominated for 10 Emmys and won four. She's done other uh, other acting roles like Rika from My Little Pony, who we've discussed. Mm -hmm. And We're Back, a dinosaur story. She's got like a small cameo. But she's also a famous children's author. She's written the famous book series Odo Undercover. Which I, I have never read, but there's six books, I think, at the moment. Hmm. So the next character is Miss Honey. Yeah, Miss Honey is played by M. Beth Devitz. Who Devitz. we were trying to figure out how to pronounce that name. Yeah, but. it's David with a TZ at the end. So M. Beth, also M. Beth as a first name. E-M-B-E-T-H. M. Beth Devitz. Like, so, all right. Yeah. Uh, she's been in movies like Army of Darkness, Schindler's List, Bicentennial Man. And TV series like Mad Men and Californication. I did just want to know you to notice the way. Did you happen to notice the order that I put those in? Army of Darkness and then Schindler's List. Um, that's an interesting order. Yeah. So it was on purpose. <laughs> I was like juxtaposition of she was in like, a comedic movie and, and then, then a movie that makes grown men cry. Yeah, basically that Good was times. that I put that in there on purpose. I was I was curious if you'd see. It. I guess not, but that's okay. Yeah, no. The, the character of Miss Honey was also played uh, by by two children because we get some backstory. A flashback. Yeah. Um, actually, two sets of children. Uh, we have uh, Amanda and Kristen Summers as Miss Honey at two years old because we get some backstory on her, and then uh, Phoebe Pearl as Miss Honey at five years old. 
That's when her father dies. Yes. Uh, the next character is the villain of the story. It's Miss Trunchbull. Played She's by... essentially a human ogre. Yeah. She really is. That's the way that they, that's the way that they really. She's written in the books that way as well. Hmm. Uh, she's played by Pam Ferris, who is mostly known for her role in the British TV series, The Darling Buds of May. Uh, it was a t- British TV comedy drama. From like the early 90s. Yeah. yeah. She was also Aunt Marge in uh, 2004's Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. If you're Which not familiar, I didn't remember at all until yeah. you told me. If you're not familiar, that's the one that Harry, in he causes to blow up like a balloon. And yeah. then she floats away. Uh, she was, uh, she appeared three episodes of the British show Luther, and she has most recently been in the British TV show, show Call the Midwife. But she's had a bunch of other roles. It's just, I, there's a bunch of stuff, one, that I'd never heard of. Yeah. It, uh, and two, I felt like a lot of our, um, uh, American and international audience might not have because it's more, you know, it's more TV drama from like the early mid '90s from the UK. I wasn't really sure how big that was going to play on an international. Yeah. So. Now you told me an interesting story about Eleanor when she was uh, when she was watching this about Miss Trunchbull. She was terrified at this movie. <laughs> so when I decided that we were going to do this, well, let me go back. So we have the episodes more or less roughly worked out from now until probably the end of may and a couple of weeks ago before we recorded this i decided that we were going to you know say put it into this particular order i showed her the preview of this movie on online mm-hmm. and miss trunchbull was terrifying even just in that one scene in the preview. so much so that from then on, when I'd say, okay, we're going to watch this movie, she kept getting upset and scared with me for trying to make <laughs> her watch this movie. So we sat down to watch this movie. So she was so terrified of Miss Trunchbull that we had to pause the movie and let her kind of cry and and kind of get it out of her system because she we couldn't we could not continue. Until she we was sort that, of, she was that traumatized by Miss yes, Trunchbull. We we had to sort of talk her down off a ledge, so to speak. Oh my god! And and after, I mean, she was full on in tears and upset and scared. And then she spent most of the movie hiding under a pillow watching it. Oh my god! But she loved the movie, so I feel like that sort of speaks to the the job that they did that she still enjoyed the movie they created a they created a character that was like that scary to children yeah but i think that that does also speak to the what we discussed earlier about rolled dolls writings being sort of dark Mm -hmm. because i remember them being very dark as a kid here's the thing about and and this happens a lot in this happens a lot in uh in children's literature children's movies like stuff specifically geared at children is that in the movie and and uh, Miss Trunchbull actually no, it's not Miss Trunchbull that says it. It's Lavender that says it. That the the villains in the movie and it's just like in um, series of unfortunate events. The adults in the movie have to be incompetent and stupid, and the villain has to like rely on that. And no one no one can believe the children. And Lavender right. says that at one point. 
like she's like oh what are your parents like are why your parents don't, gonna really believe it yeah why doesn't somebody like tell on miss trunchbull and they're like would your parents believe you if you said that this happened at school because what miss trunchbull like would you believe that she has a closet with a bunch of nails and spikes and stuff and that she would stuff kids in it all day are yeah because gonna believe you because what the the what miss trunchbull does is she just tortures children she, she tortures like physically tortures children she picks up Little girl. She shock puts the uh, hammer throws them over fences. Yeah, and just crazy stuff. And she throws them out windows, and she picks them up and holds them by their feet. And yeah, she locks them in closets. She does all these horrible things to kids, and she banks on the fact that nobody will believe the kids when they tell them my principal threw someone out a window today. The, well, and what happens at some point is Matilda goes home and tells her mom about it, mm-hmm. and she basically tells her to not lie, mm-hmm. to stop lying. And the so, dad, the dad does the same. And the dad thing. says the same thing. So back at home, her brother is Michael Wormwood, and it's played by Brian Levinson, who hasn't really done a whole lot. He was in Predator Two and had a small role in the movie North. And there's a six-year-old version of this character played by Nicholas Cox. Now the FBI agents, there's two of them tailing the house because Mr. Wormwood is a big sleaze who's breaking the law. And I think it's sort of we were talking about this earlier. Your your question was so what he's doing is he's buying stolen or he's having stolen car parts sent to him, which I'm assuming he's either reselling at his at his. I think he's uh, using them. Yeah, he's either using them to to put in the used cars that he sells, or he's selling them at the used car lot. Either way, he's making money off of these stolen. But your parts. question was was why was the FBI telling a guy just with these car parts? Yeah, like, wouldn't so that be more of a police thing? Yeah, it, it's because they're so you have two FBI agents that are staking out his house, who are like that. It's it's a running gag in the movie that Matilda knows that they're cops. And they don't believe his, because her family her family's dumb. Yeah, her family doesn't believe Matilda that they're cops. They keep saying no, they're speedboat salesmen, even though they live somewhere where there's no lakes or oceans around them. Right. So the, you have these guys who are who are tailing, who are staking out outside the house. They never leave, and they watch all these packages yeah. get delivered to the house, which is one of the things that uh, her dad, Mister Wormwood, is upset about her going to school because no one will be able to sign for the packages anymore they, they just, just leave Matilda at home alone by the way all day long and expect her to sign for packages yeah in fact they delay her education by a year well they also forget that she's six and a half they think yeah they she's think she's four. four yeah so actually they delay her education by two years because she should have been in first you know halfway through first grade so. yeah but my question was i don't understand why the fbi would be interested in someone who is I guess accepting stolen property. See, I thought of it the way that I rationalized it because I just have to rationalize everything. I rationalized it as he's being sent these stolen car parts. He knows they're stolen car parts, which means he has a stolen car parts supplier. And then he is essentially purchasing them and then... Reselling, reselling the vehicles. Yeah. Now, the way that I saw it was is yes, that's literally what's happening, but I imagined it as these stolen car parts are probably coming more so from some sort of like larger organization that either one he's directly a part of or two they are using him to launder money through. So, I was thinking that they're after him to get to the big fish. The big fish. 
Now, do you remember from the book if it, if they actually were described as FBI or were they just I think police? So. I think I think they're they might have just been police. Yeah, because she keeps referring to them as cops. Like yeah. she keeps saying the cops are outside. The cops are outside. And yeah. they're like, no, the cops are not outside. Those are speedboat sales. The only reason that we know they're FBI agents is because at the very end, at the very end, Rhea Perlman mentions them being FBI mm-hmm. and that the FBI is after them and they have to move to Guam. This is at the very end when they skip town. And via the credits they're listed as fbi agents now the first agent is played by paul rubens who is peewee herman uh he's that's a character he created uh at the groundlings in la uh he got a tv series based on the character of peewee herman uh it ran from 86 to 90 there were two films peewee's big adventure and peewee's big top adventure big top peewee yeah um, he also just recently put out a netflix peewee uh, in 2016 yeah the the character which i haven't seen yet but i i heard it's fun i haven't so. seen either the character is actually a really clever little character of peewee herman yeah which we mentioned actually on the jingle on the way episode because it was co-created by him and phil hartman developed the character together yeah on the growlings but um, it's mostly paul rubens but phil hartman helped yeah he's probably most well known for his incident back in 91 which was a couple years before this movie where he was found to be caught pleasuring himself in an adult theater uh yes. he went he went it says indecent exposure but but really he was masturbating in an adult he theater, whipped so. his that's probably what he pled down to yeah it could have been I mean, I mean, this is in Sarasota, Florida, and... There's not much else going on in Sarasota. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's Panhandle right there, baby. Oh, <laughs> no. no thanks. Sorry, everybody from the Panhandle. Yeah, but... But, but, you, but you know. But you know. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, <laughs> FBI agent Bill is played by Tracy Walters, a character actor with over 100 films and TV roles. He's been in movies like Conan the Destroyer, City Slickers, Philadelphia, Signs of the Lambs, and Death to Smoochie, but... I will always remember him as Bob the Goon from Tim Burton's Batman. That was the bat, the sidekick to the Joker. Yeah. The one that uh, pulls out the big gun and hands it to the Joker. At yeah. The end. Uh, we have uh, Lavender, who is Matilda's best friend. She's played by uh, Kiami DeVale. Um, she was in the short-lived Conan the Adventurer live-action TV show in 97. Which Sean and I barely remember. But, yeah. But looking Ten. it up, I, I, I sort of have vague recollections. It was around that time when there's a lot of live-action sort of mythical shows going on, like Xena Warrior Princess yeah. and Hercules. So so I think... And Beastmaster, the TV oh, series. Do you remember uh, Darkman? Darkman, yep, yep, yep. Uh, with his saxophone. and Yeah, there's a couple others. Uh, there's a RoboCop live action that I was on around the one. same time. For whatever reason, there was this period... That was between... around the time that the, like... No, 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 I'm thinking earlier. Like I was just thinking of the Beauty and the Beast live action one. That was but earlier. That was but earlier. But for some reason, the 1990s had this plethora of just weird live action. There were just t- there was just a producer somewhere going green. He was just throwing things at people. Green light, green, green light, green, green light. light, green light. That's green lit. What are you doing? Yeah, take it. Green light, green light, green light. It's the same guy who greenlit Candyman three and Blank Man probably. <laughs> <laughs> the handyman movie oh uh, well to be fair i like blank bands so i don't care yeah so uh, the rest of the the rest of the actors here are people that had really minor roles um, yeah we don't even have to go through all of them i did just want to mention one of the kids names the character is bruce bogtrotter who is a sort of uh, he has used a... as a plot device in this and he is actually if you've seen the movie the wedding singer he is the studliest kid at the bar mitzvah 
in The Wedding Singer. He's the one that can't get a girl, and Drew Barrymore walks up and dances with her, or dances with him, and he grabs her butt. If you remember that scene, he's the kid from that. And then the next one is Hortensia, who is this tall girl in the movie, named, uh, who's played by Kira Spencer Cook, who I just wanted to mention was Officer Murphy in the RoboCop remake that Sean mentioned all the way back <laughs> when we did the RoboCop animated series. And the movie is called Our RoboCop Remake. And I'm going to put a link to the entire film because I didn't know it was an entire film. Yeah, back they, when you talked about it. They did it, like a, it's like a shot for shot remake of the entire movie. See, I originally thought in just seeing the one scene that, that was it just was that just, one scene? I thought it was just that one scene as a sort of college humor-esque no, joke they short redid video. the entire movie. Which now I'm so <laughs> excited to watch I have no choice now. So... There's some other people. I don't want to get into the rest of it, but let's let's get into a few things. Uh, there's some trivia and things that we can discuss, but we can just do that yeah. as we cover the movie. Yeah. So the movie the movie takes place in sort of a nondescript suburban town. wholesome America. Yeah, and and uh, this little girl is born to this shithole family. And Just utter shit. Yeah, like, like every every every, sing, every single possible. one of them is a terrible person. Like we said, the dad is it's the warm like the family. kind that you would hope would get run over by a bus. Yeah, the dad is a is a used car salesman who who like takes pride in the fact that he that he scams suckers and sells them cars that that crap out on them. Uh, Miss Trunchbull actually buys a car from him at one point, And that's how Matilda gets to her school. But that car, it's like a running gag. The car keeps breaking down on her over and over. And she takes out her anger at her father on Matilda. Yeah. So, I mean, but in every way that you could be a good parent, her parents are bad parents. Yeah. Her except mom, for, except for the fact that they, I don't think they sexually abuse her. They but, don't seem to physically abuse her either. It's all it's all like psychological. Psychological abuse and neglect. Just yeah. pure and utter neglect. In fact, even on the way home from the hospital. They put her in the back of a station wagon, not secured. Yeah, like the, the car seat just like slides around in the back seat, which is not good. I mean, uh, to be fair, lots of us have slid around in the back seat of a of a car. Of yeah. A car. That's true. I but, remember I remember back when I was probably this is a horrible story. Um, back when I was probably like four or so, it was before my sister was born. I had a friend that lived next door and his uncle lived with them. It was like, you know, mom, dad, the kid. And then his uncle lived with them too. And uncle his, Ted. Oh, it was so, it was seriously like an uncle Ted type situation. His uncle had this, like, thinking back on it, it sounds way worse than it actually was. His uncle had this like, no, like windowless panel van. <laughs> Like a white windowless oh. panel van that had carpet on the ba- in the back of it. Have you checked him on Megan's? Life? No, I you know you probably but, should. <laughs> I probably should. You I have blackout memories of that. I don't want to drudge you know up. I don't want to drudge up memories. Uh, but what he would he what he used to do? What <laughs> so bad? <laughs> Where is this going, John? It's not any more sexual. Don't worry. Okay. All right. So what he would do is he would let us climb in the back of his van and then he'd shut us in. Uh, and then are he you would, sure this yeah. is gonna go someplace? Sexual? No. And he okay. would he would peel around the neighborhood and like okay. do donuts and stuff. So and there's I, an adult child. Yeah. With a, and with a so car. we're just in the back, like, <laughs> like 
like just rolling around in the back of his van, just smashing into the walls. People die that way. People absolutely die that way. We were doing it for fun. Yeah. Well, you know, the things we do when we're kids. <laughs> the things yeah. the things that we did before it we had It was a video. different time. It was a darker time. But so the, the, the mom is a shitbird too because she all she cares about is playing bingo and talking to her. She's she's like she's supposed to be a trophy wife, but the trophy was for like best looking garbage can. Like like she is she She is like grossly made up in a way that's like not appealing. Yeah, she does her she does her like clown makeup on, like Tammy Faye Baker type like clown makeup. Yeah. And and she all she does is like paint her nails. They all they do is watch TV. And the son is just and a complain bully. complain about their children over the phone with their friends. Yeah. The son is just a bully. Her brother, Matilda's brother, yeah. is just a bully who picks on her all the time. And for the longest, for the, for the, what did I think? I kept thinking that he was calling her penis breath. No, you kept thinking he was calling her, uh. Dick face. Dick. Hey, dick face. Where are you going? It was dick face. Yeah, dick face. Because he keeps saying, like, if you're just sort of casually watching it, he's like, nice going, dick face. But it turns he's out he's saying dip face. dip face. But what kind of insult is dip face? It's the PG version of dick face. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. But but uh, so the parents totally mistreat her. Don't let her do anything. She actually, I think at like four years old, starts going to the library herself to read books because she's read every magazine in the house and she wants to read other stuff. So she walks her ass 10 blocks to the library, gets books or reads books there, and then gets a library card and starts bringing them home. And Essentially, Matilda teaches herself to read, teaches herself mathematics and physics. And by the time she gets to first grade, she knows complex math and reads Charles Dickens and has been for years. Yeah. So, I mean, she's, she's an absolute genius. And... Once, once she gets to school, the antagonist switches from being her parents to being Miss Trunchbull. Right. Well, and and the, the other thing, too, is that every time her... This is a sort of, like, ongoing gag within the movie, is every time that her parents leave her home alone, which is all the time, but every time they leave her home alone, the mom will say, there's... And then provide some, like, random insert here food. There's that, soup on the stove. Yeah, there's soup on the stove, which is essentially... It's a can that she... <laughs> Opened and sat inside of a pot. Didn't even take the time to pour it into the pot. Or she'll say, there's fish fingers in the microwave. Yeah. And so, like, what happens is, is Matilda just always goes over, tosses it in the trash. And, like, she'll make full-on... She made like, pancakes for like, herself for Yeah, breakfast. she was, like, five years old and she full-on made pancakes. She opened up a cookbook. Four years old to make pancakes. Yeah, opens up cookbooks and, like, and all this stuff. Like, she's a super genius kid. Yeah, and so the, essentially the rest of the movie is her matching wits with uh, Miss Trunchbull, which they call her The Trunchbull, too. Yeah. Uh, as whatever. and As a sort of ogre-like creature she's a the not a person that's a good point see so she's she's a a a literal monster by having a title yeah like she is the trunchbull not ms trunchbull yes she is ms trunchbull but they refer to her as the trunch or the trunchbull who it turns out by the way is a murderer yeah well implied murderer well she is yeah they, well, she's an all-around horrible person, like we were talking about when it's we were talking... Mention- they go into further detail in the musical and the book, but she is. She's the one who murdered her parents. Okay. So, Miss Honey is the... The, 
the first niece grade teacher is a first grade teacher and the niece of Ms. Trunchbull. And it turns out that Ms. Trunchbull murdered her parents. Murdered Miss Honey's parents. Yes. Both of them or just the dad? Well, the mom died, quote, unexpectedly. And then not long after, the dad, quote, committed suicide, mm-hmm. which was uncharacteristic, and left this big giant house and a big fortune all to Ms. Trunchbull and not to their children. And so she was raised by Ms. Trunchbull, who essentially treated her the way that Matilda's parents, Matilda's parents treats her. And and so it's it's in the movie it is more implied that she did it but you get a little more information in the books in the in the musical but okay. but yeah no she's a murderer okay and she's a giant of a of a woman yeah and in she's this movie. she's superhumanly strong she picks up a car at one point like the back end of it yeah. and turns it around like a linebacker yeah she pushes it down the street she's literally literally picking up and throwing kids like overhand throwing kids somewhere and these are like 60 70 80 pound children yeah so the, the, the focus switches to uh, Miss Trunchbull's treatment of the kids and Matilda in particular because she has a she has a real hard on for Matilda because her dad sold her a, a bad car and she thinks that Matilda is like doing stuff to her and it, it's just a whole thing where Matilda is is she's treated badly for no reason and then you have Miss Honey who treats her really well and it's the the struggle and eventually matilda about halfway through the movie matilda discovers that she has powers she's not just a genius she's not just uh like a self-taught polymath she is actually telekinetic well and and this sort of leads into her using those powers to sort of exact revenge upon her her parents and miss trunchbull and whatever whoever else has gotten in her way Mm -hmm. matilda is actually she starts off before she gets these magic powers actually playing pranks on or sort of exacting revenge upon her own parents and her oh yeah and her proclivity to essentially punish her parents for poor behavior then leads into the way that she use, chooses to use these telekinetic powers in order to exact revenge upon the adults in her life that have taken advantage of her. Yeah, like when when she's taught when she's taken to her dad's work and she finds out that he's basically ripping everybody off, she super glues his hat so that when he puts it on, he can't get his hat off his head. Which is funny, and yeah. and, and it's a funny scene that happens in a in a nice restaurant or what's implied to be a nice restaurant that doesn't actually look all that nice but we're going to the sizzler you kids need to behave we're in a nice restaurant mom this is del taco that 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 dialogue by the way literally happened in my life (laughs) i was told to act nice in a restaurant and it was a del taco i'm not joking that actually nice restaurant equals cloth napkins okay it doesn't matter where you are a nice restaurant has cloth napkins del taco has paper napkins that's true that's true. That's my rule. But there's a lot of cloth napkins at places. Okay, how about this? Nice. nice restaurants give you two forks. Eh, better than average give you two forks. There you go. Alright. <laughs> so uh she yeah, she takes this she takes this like prankster sort of 
sort of like avenging prankster type uh, mentality. And once she gets her power, she starts using her powers to to really mess with Miss Trunchbull first. She doesn't do too much to her parents or her family other than make a carrot fly back at her brother. And, and then the hat thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they had to cut the hat off with scissors. I like that scene. That was sort of funny. <laughs> did you notice, by the way, in that scene that there's a cameo by John Lovitz? I did not. Yeah. So the family is watching this TV show. Oh, yeah, yeah, Called yeah, yeah, yeah. Sticky with Mickey. Yeah. Where they, uh, where they take your hands and they put glue on it and put you in a booth with a bunch of money blowing around. You got to try and grab the money with your sticky hands. Mm-hmm. And John Lovitz is, is his character. He's the guy in the Mickey. Yeah. That hosts the sticky with Mickey show. It's only for, he only has like a 15 second cameo, but it's really funny. And I was like, that's John Lovitz. I love John Lovitz. <laughs> <laughs> it stinks. So yeah. go ahead. No. So, uh, she eventually befriends Miss Honey and really gets, to like enjoy hanging out with her and she finds out that that miss trunchbull has been torturing miss honey as much as she's been torturing her matilda so she concocts a plan to try and get as she learns more about miss honey's family and her father magnus and his mysterious suicide she figures out that miss trunchbull probably killed her and exacts a plan to get rid of miss trunchbull which involves Convincing her that Magnus, her brother-in-law, that dead she, brother-in-law, dead brother-in-law, convincing her that Magnus is haunting her, and she does that by like making his portrait fly around, by writing notes on a chalkboard that are supposedly from him, and she gets information from Miss Honey saying like, "What's Miss Trunchbull's name? What did my what did your dad call her? Oh, Agatha, that's her name. Oh, okay, and what was?" Like, what was the nickname that he called you when you were a kid? Oh, I was uh, I was his little bumblebee. So she writes a note on the board with her telekinesis that says, Agatha, you need to give my little bumblebee her house back and all the money you stole from her. I know what you did. I'll get you like you got me. And she freaks out. And eventually, that's actually the sort of, that's actually sort of the uh, the, the climax, climax of the yeah. movie. That where, scene is the climax. Yeah. Where where she is freaked out by this this writing, and then Eraser. Matilda essentially her. breaks her down as the villain, and and destroys her sort of hold as the king ogre. Yeah, and and in a way that sort of, I guess, demasculates. Because she's portrayed as a sort of masculine character. Yeah, so all the they, kids start so laughing de- at her. Yeah, they 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 take that away from her and then the kids start throwing food at her and bullying her back which forces her to leave and never come back yeah which is weird and all and and i guess in the book or in the play it it explains that she like signed everything over to miss honey because then miss honey gets the house and the fortune and everything school yeah and the school and miss trunchbull is gone and never comes back for yeah because she thinks that she's haunted and then yeah miss miss honey eventually becomes the principal at the school and they say that it was such a popular school that they had to add an extra building because the kids didn't want to leave right and uh eventually you find out that the police the fbi have made a have been trying to arrest matilda's dad and her family and they matilda is having like tea and cookies with miss honey at her house and the the her parents come up and they're like, we need to go, we need to go to Guam because uh, those boat salesmen weren't boat salesmen; they were they were the FBI, and we need to get out of here. And she actually, 
convinces her mom and dad to sign adoption papers that she has had printed out since she quote was old enough to xerox yeah so she basically knew she had shit for parents from i mean she's what only six and a half in this movie slash book slash musical yeah and she knew that her parents were awful from the very beginning has been carrying around adoption papers on the off chance she would meet someone magically who would adopt her yeah, and that turns out to be Miss Honey. So Miss Honey is able to to uh, adopt her because they convince her parents to sign her over to her like she's a fucking car. And well, it's a good good for good for the dad. He's, yeah, he's used to that. Yeah. So then they take off, and then Miss Honey and Matilda live happily ever after. And 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 that's it. I mean that that really is it. And and this this movie actually has got so. It's got a bunch of Easter eggs in it too. Hmm. That of things that if you notice, they're they're little plays on words or references to things that is sort of interesting. Like Matilda when she is in her classroom, and she gets this math big hypothetical math problem right that Miss Honey asks her, and she uh, she gets the question right and. And she says, oh, you know, how did you learn all of this math? She's like, oh, I, I go to the library. I read this book on, on mathematics. mathematics and equations and blah, blah, blah. She's like, oh, you like to read? Oh, I love to read. Who's your favorite author? Oh, I love Charles Dickens, she says to Miss Honey. But when she says it, she says... When Miss Honey says it back? Yes, when Miss Honey says it back, she says, oh, I love Charles Dickens. She actually says, oh, I love Doll's Chickens. Which is a nod to another book by Roald Dahl, which we've mentioned earlier, called The BFG, The Big Friendly Giant, in which the main character continues to mispronounce Charles Dickens's name. Is it weird that I don't think BFG is Big Friendly Giant first? No, because we played a lot of Doom. We did play a lot of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big fucking gun! Oh, yeah, that movie is something interesting. Carl Urban, The Rock. Yeah, when it's, it goes into first player mode. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, that was Joy and I's first date. <laughs> what a terrible first yeah, date. Yeah, although we actually weren't dating at the time. Uh, she invited me to go to the movie, and, and I was hoping it was a date, and it was not a date. And it was one of the most awkward experiences of my life. But she doesn't remember it that way. She just remembers ogling Carl Urban. So, Well, that's fair. My yeah, first, that's fair. My first date with uh, with Kathy was at a uh, was at a cigar bar. Oh. And I... And she, I had I had had a uh, I had had a, a kickball game earlier, and I was wearing a big pink shirt. So I showed up to the date in a pink shirt, and then we drank whiskey and smoked cigars. That's a hell of a first date. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and she's hey. not she's not really a cigar smoker. Hey, you know that's a good sign. Yeah, she stayed. She did. So so some of the other cool things about this movie that that we can just sort of uh, sort of mention is that the main character, who's played by Pam Ferris. Uh, she actually stayed in character. The main character of Trunchbull. She yeah, played yeah. Trunchbull. Sorry, the, the main uh, villain, Trunchbull. She would stay in character so that the kids would actually be genuinely afraid of her. Which I've heard I of, think is kind of a dick move. Well, I've, I've actually heard of that when with uh, other movies that involve kid actors where the the uh, it helps produce a better yeah either a better performance from the children yeah like where they'll they'll do stuff for the kids because they're kids you know they're not professional 
well, at least a lot of them, you know, they're not professional actors. They're kids. They're six, seven, eight years old. So you have to do extra stuff to get them to to get like the reaction out of them to get a want. real performance. You know, I always yeah. I always think back to the uh, the uh, the movie The Goonies and the scene where all of them come out of the like water slide thing that I always wanted to be a ride at some theme park somewhere. They come out of that water slide and they land in the pool and that's where the octopus scene is. Yeah. That gets cut out of all the regular releases. And then they all turn around and they see the pirate ship and they're all like, "Whoa! Wow!" <laughs> they actually uh they actually had never seen the pirate ship before that point. So all their oh. reactions were completely real. They turned around. They're like, holy shit, look at that. Because there's a big old like full-size pirate ship. Yeah. And they were all freaking out about it. And that's what that's what I feel like you have to do with kids a lot of times. Is you either have to trick them into doing the reaction that you want. Or you have to like maintain a certain air if you're acting with them so that they're still so that they're either still afraid of you or like nervous around or whatever. You. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense. She, I mean, she put a lot of work into this movie though, because she was seriously injured doing during this film. She ended up needing about seven, eight stitches on her finger, uh, after taking part of it, tearing part of it, because <laughs> in, in the movie, Ms. Trunchbull grabs this character, uh, named Amanda Thripp, who's played by Jacqueline Steger, grabs her by the pigtails, which required a harness to support the little girl. And the wires that came off of that were threaded through the pigtails. And then they looped around her fingertips to give her a better grip. And so it like yanked a... Yeah, it was... Because in the movie, what she does is she spins around like the and hammer then throws throw her. and then throws her over a fence. But what happened in real life was just she swung her around and then seriously injured her hand. And then in the climactic scene that we were talking about with the blackboard and the, the chalk and everything, the, these uh, chalkboard erase, the, the erasers are flying around and hitting her in the face and the eyes. And it required her to keep her eyes open for this scene. And the dust kept getting caught into her, into her eyes to the point where it required several trips to the hospital to get her eyes washed. That's like a lot of commitment for a movie. Yeah. Right? I mean, it really is. There, There's other cool stuff, like for a Southern California local, the Crank House in Altadena actually stood in for Miss Trunchbull's house. It's a famous uh, historical landmark that would later be used as the Omega Beta Zeta Sorority House in Scream 2 and, and Catch Me If You Can. And Matilda's house, if, if you look at the... I mean, I noticed it right away. The... the architecture of matilda's house on the outside mm -hmm. looks so quintessential 1960s southern california americana yeah, absolutely that it's because it is it's from a, a home in whittier california which is not that far away from where we live no no and and it, the library is actually the pasadena public library yeah, so, so this was a Southern California so, movie. Well, made, most movies are but, made by Jersey Films. Yeah, I know it's weird, right? Yeah, but I think it's it's sort of interesting if you sort of look to it. It's it's why it made me feel like maybe the movie was supposed to have taken place in Southern California. But then again, they're talking about speedboats, and a lot of people out here own boats because they either go to the river or they go to Paris, uh, like Paris, or they'll go out to the Ocean like Elsinore itself, or, or like yeah. Elsinore with their boat. So that's why I was like, I, I it is sort of nondescript location wise, but the architecture was is so like 
Southern California, it, it's sort of hard to ignore. Yeah. That that I thought it, it's like a it's a fun like little homage if you're if you're like looking for things that that is sort of cool. Um but but I mean and there's other stuff we don't have to get into all of it. Yeah. Did, have you were you aware that there was a musical though? I was not. You know that I didn't know there was a musical. I knew this was based off a Raw Dahl book, but I had no idea that there was a musical. It was did I, that I come out like around the time the movie did, or was it like years later? 2010. Oh, so years later. Yeah, and I I actually have seen it. I saw it last year, uh, with my sister, and because. Matilda was her favorite children's book, and this was her favorite movie growing up. Oh. So I've seen this movie like a ton of times as a kid. Hadn't seen it since, but we went and saw the musical, and it is phenomenal. Really, it's really good. And they add a couple things from the book that the movie didn't cover. Yeah, it's more exposition related because it's a musical. So there's more things that they can kind of show, not tell, mm-hmm. or it's narrated to you because it's a musical. So. It, the musical itself is done really well, and uh, I would recommend it if it's some, somewhere nearby. Did, now, did you said that you said that uh, that Eleanor liked this movie? She, she loved did. it. What what did she say in particular? What she liked about it, or was it just like a she girl did. her age? Like she re- related to her. I think it was. Um, so in early on in the movie, I could tell that. She didn't relate that well to Matilda because she had these this awful family. Mm-hmm. And she goes, her parents are mean. Why are they mean? Like she that didn't register because I like to oh, think good that for you, yeah, good <laughs> for me. But like I feel like she's she's surrounded by a bunch of adults that treat her well, and you know she doesn't have crappy adults in her life. So mm-hmm. uh, we've sort of made a conscious effort to keep those crappy adults away, or uh, we just you know. Uh, don't happen to associate those kinds of people. So she didn't relate to that part of it. But I think the idea of a little girl close to her age who had magic powers and could sort of punish adults and exact revenge was something that it was a sort of wish fulfillment, I think, for her. Uh oh. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's like you, you see. You better check your hats. <laughs> you see yourself in another character in some way. And yeah. I, she really, it's like a wish fulfillment for a small yeah, child. Yeah, absolutely. And, and she loved that part of it. That was her favorite part. She liked the part where the dad had the hat glued to his head. She thought that was really funny. That's what I'm saying, hide the super glue. I know you used it to fix your. Uh, your your uh the, the, oh yeah when you were over at my house the other day i was yeah. fixing the, the silverware the silverware drawer yeah <laughs> yeah hide that <laughs> yeah I, I i use super glue for all kinds of stuff but but i i think for kids that age it definitely it definitely is a sort of wish fulfillment aspect to it as an adult though i i really appreciate the sort of line that rolled doll takes where he, it's a very thin line between between a story that's easily relatable for children that's that's got this wish fulfillment whatever but it's also got honestly dark aspects i think mm-hmm. we we discussed this maybe a bit when we covered care bears uh in, in that it's 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 the idea that you don't want to censor children from the big bad world that's out there. Yeah. And having a bad character or a bad guy or a villain of some sort 
that is a legitimate scary villain that does legitimately bad things and not sheltering children from that, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. And Well, that's why the grim fairy tales were the way they were. Yes, absolutely. And I believe that, if I remember correctly, there is a rolled doll grim fractured fairy tale book hmm. that... And the reason why I remember this is in elementary school, there was a rolled doll collection of short stories about Cinderella and all this. And it was in the grim... Mm-hmm. fashion so it was the the characters cutting their feet off and all this stuff and it, but sort of as told in a way that only rolled doll could yeah and i remember i remember t- bringing it home and the outrage from my mother <laughs> and and me then being like yeah yeah that's terrible and then me going to then us going back to the school man this book should be removed and like as an ad- this book should be burned. Well, and see, as a kid, I remember not thinking anything of that. And them doing it, and then, you know, I was already not a popular kid. At, at the time, this made me even more unpopular because that particular book was really popular with yeah. other kids. So they were really pissed off at me, so that didn't make it any better. But as an adult, the idea of removing a book that you find objectionable is so offensive to me that that is what's offensive. No book could ever be so offensive that I would want it burned or removed or censored. But the idea of censoring an idea, that is offensive. And and this book and this movie, in some ways, make me really happy because it doesn't do that. Yeah. They didn't try to sugarcoat a creature ogre of a woman with a closet filled with nails and spiky things that children have to be forced into all day yeah and it or was... abusive parents or a or a villain that has is sort of hinted at that she's murdered people that is that is some dark shit for a kid and it wasn't it wasn't a situation that we've seen before and we were talking about it with the movie boss baby because when we recorded one the other night Kathy came over and was watching Eleanor and they watched Boss Baby while we were recording while we were recording at, at my house. Yeah, and in the one that all of you thought that we should uh make out in my spare bedroom. Yeah, no uh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> I'm good. But, but no, the like the idea of like this is a kid's story told from a kid's perspective and this person might not be as like mean and nasty and gross and the situation might not be as dire as you think it is because you're watching or you're reacting to something through the lens of a child that's that's possible but 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 in this movie like the the other people react to this woman this trunch bowl the same way that matilda does which means it's not a I, i i'm led to believe that it's all real yeah exactly that's what i'm saying it's like you can have a movie where, as a viewer, you were looking at it and you're like, okay, this isn't really happening. This is just what the kid thinks is happening. But in this movie, it's like, no, no, no. She's picking up kids and throwing them over the, throwing them over a, a fence. And she's like locking kids in essentially like solitary confinement. Chucked a kid out a window. Force feeding a kid to eat 40 pounds worth of a chocolate cake. Which he does. Which he does. Uh, like a fucking boss. Like a champ. Yeah. Takes it, licks. Oh, but then after he eats the Eleanor thing- loved that part, by the way. She thought that that part was great. It, well, actually, let me go back. So we're watching that part of it and she's all scared. And then she has to eat the cake. He has to eat the cake and she's getting upset And then I was like, Eleanor, do you think he could do it? She's like, no, it's too much for me. And I was like, 
well, maybe, maybe we should encourage him. Maybe we should encourage him to eat it. Maybe he could do it then. It's just like, you think so? It's like, yeah, it's just like, you could do it, Bruce. And I and I kind of timed that encouragement so it would match with the movie. Yeah. And then that made her get really enthusiastic about it. She's cheering along with the other kids. That made her enjoy that section of the movie infinitely more. <laughs> I, I laughed out loud at the end of that scene. because So the kid eats this giant cake. And then at the end, he picks up the giant platter that it was on. He starts licking it. And then all the kids cheer for him. And he holds the platter up. because And Miss Trunchbull She grabs it. the platter and smashes it over his head. And it's just so jarring that it made me laugh. Because she's like, that's enough. Smash. And breaks a glass platter over the kid's head. But it's head. almost like cartoon violence. Because there's no like physical repercussions. Yeah, for, the, kids, for the that. kids never get hurt. Yeah, they don't the, get the hurt. The girl she throws over the wall... She barely up, makes it and slides through flowers. Yeah, she slides through flowers and then picks flowers as she's sliding. Yeah, and one of the kids who gets thrown out a window, Matilda makes him levitate so he doesn't get injured. Yeah. So there, I mean, there's no, there's no permanent damage caused to these children. They're in, but, they're in physical danger, but they don't ever seem to. It is like cartoon violence. Like someone gets smashed with an anvil, but they're fine the next scene. Yeah. Like these kids get these horrible things done to them, and then they're fine the next, the next scene. So. It's, it's violence in that they're all scared of what's going to happen, but then they're fine afterwards. It's sort of like a momentary inconvenience. Well, and I mean, I think overall, I like this movie. I enjoyed it. I think actually I enjoy it now a little more as an adult for the reasons that I, I mentioned. Did, did you? Yeah, actually, I, I enjoyed the movie too. I thought that it was pretty funny. Like Danny DeVito and Rio Perlman's uh, portrayals were were funny. They're awesome. They're, I think Rio Perlman, like she's she stole the show. You know what? She reminded me of uh, Sigourney Weaver's character from from Galaxy Quest. Yes, uh, like if you if you merged her a little bit with the mom from Married with Children. Yeah, yeah. So I liked their. I mean, as as shitty as they were as people, like their characters were kind of funny. Just if you're like taking, if you're if you're stepping back and they're looking sort at of them. cartoony. Yeah, they're they're like cartoon villains, and then uh, and there's still repercussions for villains, and so and things always get and they all get resolved. Yeah, it was it was an entertaining movie. It wasn't overly saccharine. I mean, that's what I like about the Roald Dahl stuff is it's not overly saccharine either. Yeah. I watched James and the Giant Peach with Eleanor not but six months ago or so. Uh, and I, I would like to uh, to cover that at some point too. And it's the same thing. It doesn't get overly saccharine. There, yeah. there's like you know, resolution the saccharine parts, but, but that's part of the story. It's right. not like everything is just. And the, and the the villains are like legit, yeah. you know. So I, it's like it makes sense. I think audiences have felt the same way because Matilda has a ninety percent approval based on twenty one reviews, with an average rating of seven and a half out of ten. The website's critical consensus reads, Danny DeVito-directed version of Matilda is odd, charming, and while the movie diverges from Roald Dahl, it nonetheless captures the book's spirit. In the U.S., it did really well, and and Roger Ebert even praised the film's oddity, giving it three out of four stars, saying, quote, Trunchbull is the kind of villainous children can enjoy because she is too ridiculous to be taken seriously and yet really is mean and evil like the witch in snow white and since most children have at one time or another felt that their parents are not nice enough to them they may also enjoy the portrait of matilda's parents and i i i agree with that i think that's i mean we all at some point as children see our parents as 
terrible, you know, yeah. awful parents. We get angry at them, yeah. usually in, like, adolescence, teenage years. Yeah, even when it's irrational and unfounded, you know that they're good parents doing the best that they can, but... You know, in that moment that you're upset, you're you're mad at them, and yeah. and I think I think yeah, they, Roger Ebert sort of hit the nail on the head in the, in this in this regard. I, I again, at the end of the day, I love this. I would definitely recommend this for kids. If you have kids who get scared really easily, uh, I mean, maybe work on that. Uh, yeah, that's my advice to you because they're going to miss out on a lot of stuff. This is a good movie for kids. This is prime demographic of uh, four to ten year olds. They would love this movie. Yeah, as, a, as an adult who didn't remember a lot of this movie and probably only saw it once or twice it's at fun. a young age, yeah, it, it it's actually entertaining, uh, and it and it, I think it plays to the, like the material it was taken from. And Danny DeVito, he's actually a pretty damn good director, and yeah, and and the and the, him and his wife are are, are good acting uh, actors and actresses. Yeah, so. the act the acting overall in the movie is is pretty solid, even with a bunch of child actors. It's it's pretty solid for like yeah. There's there's not really too many complaints about the movie. So I don't I, really have any complaints. Yeah, I, I can't think of any complaints. I would say, is this the greatest movie I've ever seen? No, but but it's definitely a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie, yeah. and I would recommend it too. So that probably does it for for this week. Uh, go out and watch Matilda. Yeah, and and again, thank you to our requester uh, for for giving us this this episode this week, Stephen Marchia. Uh, hopefully we're pronouncing that correctly. He requested this several months ago. We're just kind of starting to get to it. If you have a request that you want to do, please send it to us. We have a, a running list. Maybe Sean and I can can post that. Yeah, we can well, post it somewhere we can on the post, site. Yeah, we can post that on the site. And then when people want to make a request, they can do it there. Yeah. Uh, on, on our website or Facebook or what have you. You can send it to us as a message via or on Twitter or Instagram. You can send us any of the above. Uh, I know during December, I sort of dropped off on the, on the Instagram. I've had a lot going on. And Sean and I got a little weird with our episode releases. But, you know, we're kind of back to doing our regular thing. January was a really fun thing for us to do the, the live video. And now we're back to doing our, our regularly regularly scheduled programming. Yeah, and we've got some some guests planned in the coming year here, and some fun ideas that that we'll kind of get into as we go along. So so I think that'll do it for us this week. Yeah, and if you wanted to uh, if you wanted to send us one of those requests, you could always do it over Facebook. You can do Facebook.com/slash Childhood Remastered. You can uh, send us a message on Twitter. We're at RemasteredCast. Uh, you can send us an email with it, childhoodremastered at gmail.com. We are part of the ACPN uh, podcast network. It's family, family of slash, shows. Slash. Yeah. Uh, it's theacpn.com. Uh, you can check out any of the other shows that are on the network. There's shows like Adventure Club, Cosmic Castoff, Drunk on Disney, The Flux Capacicast, uh, Rewind Cinema, Retro Cinema Podcast. There's also Comedians Shame Eating in drive throughs um, There's a bunch of great ones. That you can get punch drunk TV, and there's uh, several others, and and the shows are are all pretty good. I, I've listened to several of them. I, I would definitely recommend them if you're looking for something to add to your listening of us. Yeah, uh, why not? Yeah, and Check if you if you are a recent listener from the uh, other shows we've listened or from the podcast we listen to, Facebook group, who we uh, frequent often, you, you can usually catch us in conversation over there too. Uh, thank you. And please share the show with your friends and with uh, the people that you like and the people you don't like. I guess uh, share it with them too. Yeah. Rate us five stars on iTunes if that 
helps. Yeah, and we want to thank John Hayworth with uh, with yeah. the music that, yeah. that we always use. John, and, yeah, John Howarth is. Uh, you can check out his SoundCloud. We have a link to it on our website, childhoodremastered.com. And I think that'll do it this week. Yeah. So until next time, this is Sean and Chris, and this has been your Childhood Remastered. We will see you next time. <laughs>